All right? Cool. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning, start a little bit of a mini-series called Love Him Passionately. If you remember, if you were here for our Vision Sunday, you'd understand that we have a three-phase process this year of what we believe that God wants to do to establish deep roots in our world, because we understand that when our roots go deep, fruit is an automatic uh, byproduct of a great root system, and those three kind of like soils, when you look biblically, that help you to develop great root systems, and the first soil is intimacy with God, hence love Him passionately. The second one is the soil of serving, and, and, and that's called serve Him practically, and you can see it on the stage behind me, and you'll see it in the foyer. And then the last one is live for Him purposefully, and that's all about us living in community, that God created us to live in community, that we're not meant to be in isolation, that we celebrate in the Western world individualization, but when it comes to the kingdom, kingdom celebrates community. Kingdom celebrates community because when Jesus called the disciples to come follow him, they didn't follow independently, they followed in a group. Are you with me this morning? And so we we have to understand that that's the way that God developed and created us to have these three soils operating in our world so that our roots can, can go down deep and get the right nutrients it needs so that we can produce grapefruit, fruit that lasts for eternity. And so we're starting out this morning by talking about loving him passionately. You know, when I was about uh, eight or nine years of age, I was um, at home, uh, I pulled a sickie. Anybody ever done that? And, and you managed to, you liars. <laughs> Has anybody managed to con your parents since you've been sick and you weren't sick? Come on, let's be honest here this morning. And, and you know, if you're a parent here this morning, this happens on a regular basis in our house. Um, although now we have this one thing, you either have to have a temperature or be vomiting, otherwise it's all over for you, you're going to school. But I remember once faking when I was about nine years of age to my mum that I was sick, and my mum had to go to a meeting, so she left in charge of me uh, a 20-year-old girl who was an intern in the church, and, and by about lunchtime, you know when somebody's faking sickness, yes? You know when your kid is faking sickness, because by about lunchtime, they are so bored that you want to kill them. Yes? <laughs> okay, it's just me. You're all fantastic parents. I need help. Um, so I rang, I, I, I rang my mom. She was at the church. And I said to her, Mom, I re- I'm really bored. And I'm really hungry. And mom used to make the best chocolate chip cookies. So I said to her, where's the recipe for the chocolate chip cookies, and I'll make them. My mum knew that I was faking it when I asked for that recipe. As when you're sick, the last thing you need is chocolate chip cookies. So I found where the recipe was, and I put all the ingredients together, followed the recipe, and then I, um, I baked them, and I pulled them out, and they didn't look anything like mum's. For starters, they were really dark, almost burnt, and they weren't light and fluffy. They were like rock. And so when my mum came home, I said to her, your recipe doesn't work. And mum said, what did you do? And so I told her the process and I said, and then I put, um, you know, some flour in and and here's where I got the flour out of. And my mum goes, um, that's not flour, that's baking soda. (laughs) Hence why they tasted like absolute rubbish. But I can remember saying, to my mum, that your recipe doesn't work. You see, when it comes to having a personal, intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, most people I know understand the recipe for that. The recipe for that is is intimacy with Him. The recipe in that is a dependence upon Him. The recipe in that is a faith in Him. And, And I know that those are the ingredients that are required or the recipe that's required for us to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so many people say to me, I I try to read my Bible, I try to pray, and it just doesn't work. What I've discovered in my cookie making when I was nine years of age is that the recipe wasn't wrong, it was the ingredients that were wrong. And so often I think what we do is we, we have this recipe of intimacy, dependence, and faith in God, 
but sometimes we just get the wrong ingredients in there, and it doesn't quite work out the way that God says it will, so we think the recipe is flawed, or that there's a problem with the recipe, but in reality, it's a problem with the ingredients. Are you with me this morning? So where do we, where do we find these right ingredients? If we're going to have this great recipe, and we want to have, I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want to have a close relationship with Jesus. If you're a Christian and you know him, that's what you want. Deep down in your life, everybody wants that because they know that when they're close to God, they find their calling, their gifting, and everything that God's called them to be. And we really, really want that. But if we're going to love him passionately, we have to make room for him personally. I, I don't know about you, but when we first got married, me and Trinity, um, I loved her passionately. Just the first two or three weeks, I didn't like her sharing my bed personally. You're all looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I couldn't sleep with her in the bed with me. It was like I was awake half the night because I had never shared a bed with everyone in my life. So I was used to having this big bed where I could lie sideways. You know, I could do whatever I wanted in my bed because there's nobody else in my bed. But when I roll over on my honeymoon, this person was in the way and, and I just couldn't spread out like how I wanted to. And it took me three weeks to get able to sleep through the night with her in the bed with me. But if I wanted to have an intimate personal relationship with her, I needed to make room for her in my life. I needed to create a space for her. I needed to create... Uh, communication, and talk about things that I had not talked about with anybody else. If anybody in this place has, has ever been married or is married or whatever, understands that in the dating phase, the conversations you have are very different to the conversations you have in the engagement phase, and then very different to the conversations you have after the wedding, and very different 10 years later, or in our case, 23 years later, the conversation is really different. There's, you, you, you start to break down the walls around you and you start to share personal, intimate things that you don't share with anybody else. Because if you're going to love someone passionately, you have to make room for them personally. And so we see this all the way through uh, Scripture. If we think about King David, you know, when he was anointed king at 16 years of age, he was anointed to be king of Israel. Samuel came and anointed him and poured oil over his head and anointed him to be king. And then what did David do? David went right back to the field where he was tending the sheep because in the field was the place where David built this intimate, personal relationship with God. That's where his worship life started. That's where his prayer life started. That's where he, God saved him from the lion and the bear, which enabled him to believe that God could save him from Goliath. It was in this personal, intimate space in the field, all on his own, that he discovered the things about God, that he discovered the things about himself that ultimately would lead him to fulfill God's purpose and destiny in his life and it came from the private space. It came from the secret place. It came from the inner room space of his life that he spent with God. And so if we're going to be all that God's created us to be, if we're going to love him passionately and discover all the things that he has called us to do, then we have to create space. A place where it's just you and him. You know, quite often Trinity and I because in our house, the kids understand that the most important relationship in this house is between me and mum, not between parents and kids. Because you know what? If this relationship breaks down, the kids are automatically affected. It's a marriage. It's the mum and dad's relationships. It's the most important thing. And so sometimes when I get home from work or whatever, we disappear into our bedroom for some space to be able to talk through our day or have a discussion about something. And quite often there's this like, um, I was going to say knock, but that would be wrong. Anybody else in this place have kids that don't know how to knock on your door? They just burst in. Yeah. 
And so they'll come in and, and I say, excuse me, you need to leave because mum and I are trying to have a conversation. And so we have created in our home the understanding that when mum and dad decide that they need to have a confidential, intimate, personal conversation, you don't come into the room. You can't have somebody else in there with you if you want it to be personal. You have to make space for that person. Matthew 6, 6 says this, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says this, he says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is you need to develop a lifestyle of a secret place. A secret place kind of lifestyle is what you need to develop. I love that it says here, pray to your father who is where? In the secret place. I have so many people come up to me and say, I'm trying to find God in this. I'm trying to find God in my life. I'm trying to find God in this situation. I'm trying to find God in the circumstance. And the reason why you can't find him in the situation or the circumstance is because he's waiting for you in the secret place. He's waiting for you to come into that space that you've created just between you and him, that secret place, that inner room place, that private place. It says here, the Father who is in secret, he is waiting there for you to come. He's waiting there because he's there for us and it's where he, we find him because our first call in our lives is to be with God before anything else. The reason why you can't find God sometimes in situations is because he's waiting for you in the secret place. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, it talks about Jesus and his disciples again, and it says that he went up onto the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Everybody say, with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. How many people want to be able to see that? You want to be able to go out of this place or into, the, into your community, into your family and see people healed of sicknesses and demons cast out and people coming to Christ? Well, the key thing in all of this is before he sent them, he called them to himself. Before he gave them information and instructions to his disciples, he called them to himself because he wanted to spend time with them first so that he could reproduce in them what was in him before he sent them out to do. So before he could send them, he called them to himself first. Before he could go, before they could do what they needed to do, he called them to himself. Why? Because everything you need in life comes out of his presence. Everything you could ever need, you will find in his presence. You will not find it anywhere else. You will not find it in my office. You will not find it in my words of counsel. You will not find it anywhere else other than in his presence. You will find, oh, it's, you will find some things, but you've got to understand this. What I'm trying to say here this morning is this, is that, is that Jesus taught his disciples that if you're looking for Father, you'll find Him in the secret place. And if you would come to me first, if you'd have this relationship with me first, if you come into my presence first, then you'll be able to go out of my presence with the power to heal the sick, with the power to cast out demons, with the power to lead people to, to Christianity and preach the gospel and all those things. But it starts out of the secret place. It all begins in that place. Because when you spend time with somebody, I don't know about you, but when you spend time with somebody and you get to know them really well, they tend to rub off on you, yes? Trinity, I've said this before and I say it again, never really was a watch sports on TV kind of a person. Now she loves to watch some sports on TV. Why? Because I've rubbed off onto her. You know, um, I just saw Rochelle Lowe, she loves watching sports on TV. And I say to Trinity, maybe you should spend some more time with Rochelle to allow that to 
rub off onto you, you know, so I can watch more sport in the house. But you start to discover, yes, the closer you get to somebody, what's important to them becomes important to you. What they like, all of a sudden you like. Before I, I started dating Trinity and Gage and all that sort of stuff, the only movies I watched were the movies with great storylines, like Taken. There's such a beautiful storyline in the movie Taken. Guy's daughter gets kidnapped. Guy goes to countries she was kidnapped in, kills everybody until he finds her. That, to me, is a beautiful story of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I find myself watching these other movies like The Proposal and and rom-coms. Where's this evil come from? And then all of a sudden, I'm going to admit this this morning, all of a sudden, I start to like them. Because it starts to rub off. And so when we spend time with him in the secret place, when we spend time with him in in a room, when we spend time with him in that place where he is, the things that he cares about start to become the things that we care about. The way that he thinks about things start to become the way that we think about things. And he rearranges our priorities and he changes our perspective. And what once we saw as, as, I don't know about you, but what once I saw in my past as being a bad thing, I now understand that God used it in a, as a stepping stone to great things. You know, you start to see things differently. And so when the trials and the tribulations come, you understand because God loves you and because all things work to out together for good because you spend time with him and you know that he's a good God and that he loves you. You don't see tragedy. You see triumph come from tragedy. You understand that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff are with me. And when I come out of it, the scripture goes on to say, he builds a table for me in front of my enemies. In other words, he builds this incredible lavish table of food and celebration like to go to the enemies that tried to destroy me. Something starts to change, something starts to shift, and our perspective starts to change. But when we stop living from that secret place, when we stop living from that place where we find Him, then the temptation is to be motivated by other things instead of by the love that we have for Jesus. And so we start to be tempted to do the things that we're doing because of the motivation outside of that relationship, outside of that intimate, personal relationship. You know, I, I, I place a high value on living passionately for God. I, I don't think there's any other way that we should live other than passionately for God. I, I think the biggest problem that causes people not to find Christ is not so much rules and regulations or whatever it is that people think it is, I think what it is is they look at some Christians and they think if that's what Jesus does for you, I don't want any thanks. Because instead of passionately loving Him and being in relationship with Him, we passionately love our problems and our circumstances and we get in relationship with that instead and we allow that to get in between us and Jesus instead of getting Jesus between us and our circumstances. Because it's when people see Jesus between you and your circumstances that they start to ask questions like, how come you're so happy? How come you love God when all of this is going on? And what they see is a passionate life that loves God unconditionally because He loves us unconditionally. But you know what? You can be as passionate as you want for God, but without a strategy, it's pretty pointless. You know, you can, you can right, let me give you a little tip this morning, single males. You can be so in love with a girl that you think could be your one. But if you don't have a strategy on how to win her heart, you're never going to win her heart. Like, would it be nice if I got some girls going, yeah. You've got to understand who she is and what she likes and... You might have to make some changes to your world. She may not like beds, and so you have to shave it off, or 
she may not like your haircut, so you've got to get it changed. Or she might start telling you uh, how to dress properly. I, I know he's not here this morning, so I can say this. The changes in Chris Lowe's dress standards since he's gone to Palmerston North and found himself an Evie is incredible. I'm jealous of his sock collection. It's incredible. And so what happens is this starts to, it starts to take place because, you know, you're passionate, you're going to go and find out the things that they like. And the thing is, is with God is that you can be as passionate as you like about Him. You can be as passionate as you like about what it is that you believe that He wants to do, but if you don't have a strategy, the passion is pointless. You see, I've been in church a, a long, long time, and there's, I've met a whole, I mean, I've been in my church, in church my whole life. My parents were pastors, and I've been in church my whole entire life, and I have seen so many people that are passionate about God using them, and and, you know, and I don't know how many prayer meetings I've been to where people are praying for revival and God give us revival and they're so passionate about God using them and passionate about revival and they're passionate about God changing the world and don't get me wrong, I love the passion. I love that they have a passion for revival. I love that they have a passion for seeing the world transformed and, and things change. But you know what? Nothing's going to change but just by getting together once a month and yelling from the top of our lungs, Revival! Because, can I just say something? That's been the cry of the church the whole time I've been alive. And I guarantee you it's been way before... I was alive, so why don't we have it? Because passion without strategy is pointless. Saying I love God, but not having a strategy of how I'm going to make that sustain is pointless. And the strategy, if you say you love God, the most practical, the most strategic thing you could ever do is create a secret place lifestyle where you spend time with Him. One-on-one, -on -one, talking, sharing. I'm not talking about prayer as we think prayer, as we think prayer is about petition. We think prayer is about asking God for things. I'm talking about secret place. I'm talking about sitting down with Jesus and having a coffee and just talking to him about how you feel, where things are in life. What do you want to see happen, God? That kind of one-on-one -on -one communication that you'd have with your spouse or you have with your kids or you have with your friends. That's what God's looking for. One of the things I love to do when I meet someone new is I love to go out to lunch with them and t say to them, tell me your story. Tell me your life story. Because I get to know them. If I just take them out to lunch and say, hey, I heard you can do this. Can you do that for me? It's just using somebody. I want to know who they are. I want to get to know them. And God is saying, if you want to really know me, if you really want to love me passionately, then you will find me in the secret place. And we have to develop a secret place lifestyle. There are certain things that I've found over the years that God only releases to you in the secret place. There are certain things that I find that God only tells you in the secret place. You can go to as many conferences as you want, and you can respond to as many altar calls as you want to, but there are some things that God reserves that can only be found in the secret place alone with Him. Just like in marriage, you can take me out for coffee and take me out for lunch where there's an Eiffel at stake with wrapped in bacon with a red wine jus. And you, you can do all that, and I would encourage that to happen. Um, I'm just joking. But you are never going to really know the real, real, real me because you don't have access into my secret place. But she does. And you can't really, really, really know him unless you create space for him. You can love him passionately, but you need a strategy of where you can create space for him. I want to encourage you that 
the secret places where God releases things that will just blow your mind and shape your world. There's a story in the Old Testament, and Israel at the time are under the leadership of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and they are the most evil king and queen combination you'll probably ever find. They were destroying the nation of Israel and Judah. They put all their kids in charge and made them kings, and they were so far from God, they were just destroying the nation, absolutely destroying it. You know, and, and then God promised Elijah, because remember Elijah took them on at Mount Carmel and called down fire from heaven. God promised Elijah that through Elisha, Elijah's replacement, that God would destroy Ahab, destroy Jezebel, and the entire family would be cut off so they could never rule or reign or do anything ever again in their lives. And so we come to the point in the story where God is about to do it, and it's in 2 Kings chapter 9. It goes from verse 1 to 10, so be patient with me as I read this. And it says, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilad. Now, when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Everyone say, inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Could you imagine that scenario? <laughs> so the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramon Gilad, Ramoth Gilad, whatever, however you pronounce it. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of, of the Lord, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants and prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of the ground of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. That's a nice story, isn't it? But he's basically saying, I'm going to do what I promised Elijah. And he, he takes Yehu aside into the inner room. You see, you've got to understand the prophets in the Old Testament were the picture, or they were the representation of God. Not the same in the New Testament. In the New Testament, prophets should be judged for what they say. We should judge prophecy. According to New Testament, prophecy should always be encouraging and building up the body. So if we ever have a prophecy in here on a Sunday which is negative and pulling down, we know that's not God, so we just shut it down. But in the Old Testament, the prophet represent Christ, represented God on the earth. And if the prophet got it wrong, God killed him. Maybe we should bring that into... Oh, this is. And so this guy is in the inner room with Jehu anointed him, but you've got to understand he is representing God right now. It's like he's meeting with God in the inner room. He comes out of the inner room, and the story goes on to say that he comes out of there and he tells his companions, he tells the soldiers that are with him what the prophet had said. And, and, and immediately, as soon as they hear what Jehu told, immediately they went throughout the whole land, slaughtered Ahab, slaughtered all of his family, and pushed Jezebel out a window and left her there to die. Crazy. Here's the crazy thing that I want you to get out of this. Is in one day, the government that was destroying the nation was replaced. God shifted an entire nation in one day because of an inner room encounter with Jehu. In one day, God changed everything because of an inner room encounter. 
And one day, Jehu in that inner room in that secret place encounter found out who God had called him to be and what God had called him to do and it ignited a passion in him to see it through. The inner room is the place where it's just you and God, where he gives you the strategies and he gives you the anointing for specific things that need to happen. The greatest ideas, the greatest thoughts, the greatest things that I've ever thought about, and maybe you think I don't have any great ideas at school, I think my greatest ideas have always come out of the secret place encounters. Everything that I just about do starts in the secret place encounter. David's inner room was a field. John the Baptist's inner room was a desert. Jesus' inner room was wherever he could get on his own for a period of time while he was traveling. Forever it was saying that Jesus drew himself away to a secret place or a lonely place so that he could be with God. Jesus had this understanding that everything that he did, John the Baptist had this understanding, everything he did, David had this understanding, everything he did came out of the secret place. In fact, the Bible says this, that whatever you do in secret, God rewards in public. So in other words, this is what he's saying, whoever makes Jesus famous in their secret place will make Jesus famous in the world. There's a promise that comes, one that will find him there, and that he's a rewarder of those who do it. And so we have to find this space where we can separate ourselves into our inner room of prayer and and relationship, and God begins to shift the narrative of our lives, and we start to be shaped by His perspective on what your time and place is in history, what He has called you to do. The inner room is where God reveals your unique role in His story, His story. The book of Acts did not end at the end of Acts. The book of Acts is still being lived today, and we are part of his story. You have a critical role. Every single person has a critical role to play in the outworking of his story, God's plan for the earth. God's plan becomes clear, and there's a clarity that comes in the secret place. Listen to this in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. It says this, Now this is the testimony of John. This is John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they're trying to work out who John the Baptist is, whether he's the Messiah. But he says, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, No, I'm not Elijah. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. And then they said to him, who are you then, that you may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. You know, when John the Baptist was asked, what's your role? What's your place in this story? Because he had this secret place lifestyle, which he did in the desert where he knew God, he had no confusion. He was not confused about his role. He was not confused about anything that God had called him to do. He said, oh no, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the one saying, make ways in the wilderness. Jesus is coming. And then when Jesus came to be baptized by him, remember what John said? Oh, no, 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 no. You should be the one baptizing me, not me baptizing you. He understood his place. He understood his role. He understood what it was that God had called him to do because he had a clarity about his part of the story and because he had a clarity of who God had called him to be because of a secret place lifestyle, he had the authority to speak it. He had the authority to focus his life. Most people whose lives are unfocused, most people whose lives are all over the place, most people who lack authority in their lives is because they lack a clarity as to what it is that God has called them to do. And you can't find that any other place than in a secret place. And when you find out your part in God's story, 
that authority comes with you. And there's a great story. In 1904, there was this thing called the Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival happened in the country of Wales, obviously, where three quarters of the nation came to Christ. Three quarters of the nation, 75% of the nation came to Christ. And it was all led by this man called Evan Roberts at 26 years of age. But Evan Roberts says that at 12 years of age, he decided he was going to develop a secret place lifestyle. And he used to spend hours praying at his bedside, kneeling on the floor, studying the Word of God, writing down what it is that God showed him. And he said, year after year, God started to show him pictures of what the revival was going to look like and what was going to happen and, and, and all those things. He started to see in the secret place what eventually manifested in the public place. And so for 14 years, from the age of 12 to 26, he kneeled at the side of his bed and spent time in his secret place asking God for revival and then asking God for strategies for that revival. And out of that, at the age of 26, Evan Roberts led an entire nation, 75% of it through revival and other people helping him, led a revival in the nation of Wales, which is still talked about today, but it came from a secret place. It came from a place where it was just him and God. And then a young man visited the home of Evan Roberts on a school trip. And they went into Evan Roberts' house and, you know, to have a look, and it was like a museum type of scenario. And, and when they went to leave, they couldn't find this young man. They had lost him somewhere in the trip. And they found him in Evan Roberts' bedroom, past the not allowed in their barriers, with his knees in the same grooves in the floor that Evan Roberts had created from all his time of kneeling and praying. And they found him in the same groove on the bed with his head bowed saying, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, do it again. And that young man's name was Billy Graham. And it came out of Evan Roberts' secret place that started at 12, guys. Not started at 40, but at 12. I want to tell you, God has things for you. God has greatness for you. God has an incredible things for you to do, but you're not going to find it any other place than where he is, and that's in a secret place. And in his presence, you'll find everything that you need to be able to do all that God has called you to do. We need to awaken to the possibilities of God. We need to awaken to what God can do and all the possibilities that flow from His ability, not my ability, but from His ability. Too often we're impressed by what the enemy can do. Friend, we're going to change tack a little bit and we're going to stop being impressed so much with the darkness. We need to become impressed with what God can do. We need to become impressed what God can do in and through my life. But the only way that you're going to find that is in the secret place. The only way that you're going to find the things that God wants to do is in that intimate place with Him. We can pray for our community and our nation. And we've all been to those church prayer meetings where people are like, you know, like their intention is great. They're praying that God would do this and that, but there's just no passion in it. There's no conviction in it. It's almost like it's duty-bound. And when we have duty-bound prayers, it's because we haven't had secret place moments where the Word of God has got on the inside of us, where the Spirit of God has spoken to us, and we leave that room with a conviction and with a passion that God can do it, that God will do it, that God can change a nation in one day, that God can do it. You know, one of the promises that God has given me in my secret place, and it's something that I pray daily, God promised me that He would awaken the church to all the possibilities that He has in store for each and every one of us, and that we would see hundreds and thousands come to know Christ and would see a transformation of our community 
because God was going to, it's, it, it's not something that's just a nice thought. I believe this with all of my heart, that the greatest thing that could happen to our nation is the church to awaken, is for the church to find its secret place, is for the church to find what it is that God has stored up for us individually and corporately so that we can bring an Evan Roberts-style revival to a nation, but it comes out of the strategy given in the secret place. Praying is not enough. There has to be a strategy. There has to be a word from God that says, this is the way, walk you in it. Because what changes communities and what changes nations is not so much prayer, but people who are driven by a word from God. I don't know about you, but I went on a nine-week missions trip through Eastern Europe when I was at Bible college with no money and all my, my spiritual friends at Bible college were saying, there's no hope. There's no way you're going to get the money to give it a go. It was $3,500 just for the airfare. By some miracle, the travel agent said to me, I'll give you the tickets. You can pay for them when you get back. I have no money now. I'm not going to have any money in nine weeks. That's illogical. But I just knew that God had given me a word that I was going. I knew that I was going because when I first thought about it and was first asked to do it, I said to God, there's no way that Trinity will let me go away for nine weeks. I'd never, ever do it again. It's the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Nine weeks is a long time away. So I thought, there's no hope. So I went home and said, Trin, I feel like God's saying this, but I'll be gone for nine weeks. And she goes, okay. First, I was a little rejected, and she doesn't really love me, and I was away for nine weeks, not earning any income. When I came back, the money was there to pay for the airfare. You see, when you have a word from God, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are screaming at me. I have a word that's come from the secret place. And, and I just know that this is going to happen. And I want to tell you, some of you are like, how is this going to be and how is that going to be? And what about my kids? And what about this? And what about that? And what about my health? And what about retirement? You've got all these questions about how is that all going to happen? You'll find answers in the secret place. You'll find answers in the secret place. Lasting fruit that brings change to a world starts in the inner room of prayer. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place lives under the shadow of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but I need to live under the shadow of of Almighty God. And the only way to do that, the only way to be under His protection, the only way to be under His shadow, under His favor, under His guidance, is to find the secret place. Now, I'm not saying that you need to find a a secret place and you spend nine hours there every Saturday. I'm not saying that. You don't spend nine hours sitting down, or Trin and I don't spend nine hours sitting down in our bedroom with the door shut, kids away for nine hours talking nonstop. The reason for that is we'll probably talk for about an hour and then probably then have a sleep for the rest of the time because that would be awesome. I'm not saying to spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. What I'm saying is you need to find a secret place. You need to find that spot, that inner room that you have with him where you can just no matter what's going on, no matter what time of day you're in, you can just pull yourself aside for a few minutes. When I used to work uh, outside of the church for a company called Deutz, my lunchtime became my secret place. And I'd hop in my car and I'd drive somewhere where nobody else was. And I'd eat my lunch in my car, have my journal out, and I'd just start talking to God and say, you know, talk to me. What is it that you have planned? What is it that you want to do? And I just, that was my, 
that was my secret place. My secret place now is not telling you because you might come and break into my secret place. But my secret place now is in a cafe. But isn't it noisy? It doesn't bother me. I find actually if I have silence, I get distracted really, really easy. So I like noise happening around me. You might be someone who needs absolute quiet. Maybe for you, it's walking along the beach is your secret place. That's another one of my secret places. When, when, when my cafe secret place, place ain't working, I go to my beach secret place. Maybe for you, it's walking through the bush. Maybe for you, it's mowing, mowing the lawns used to be my secret place, especially when the kids were little because you put the headphones on and you can just pretend like they're not existing. The golf course has been my secret place at times. Just wherever you can get away. So it's just you and God and having that time and asking Him the questions that you need answers to. But listening long enough to realize that He's going to give you what you need and not what you want. That He's going to, in that secret place, change your perspective. Change the way that you look about things. Give you dreams that are beyond your wildest dreams give you dreams that are beyond your abilities. Just like with Jehu, I don't know about you, but I would have come out of that room going, you're going to use me to do all of that? How, how's that going to happen? I, I just can't see it. Could you imagine if he got up the day before and said, I believe God can change our nation in one day. Everybody would be like, Whatever. But one inner room encounter changed the nation in one day. There's a guy called Jedediah Turner out of the States. I encourage you to look it up on the internet. And he runs this organization called One Nation One Day. And they take plane loads. And when I say plane loads, I'm talking 747s. Plane loads of Christians from all over the world, from all different churches, and they go into a nation for 24 hours and they pack out stadiums and they speak in schools and they pray in the hospitals and they do all sorts of stuff. When they went to Narragawa, no, I can't even pronounce it properly, one of the South American countries, they went in and in one day, in one day, they saw 250,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. In one day, they saw that happen. And then the government said, you are welcome to come back anytime you want. And the next time they came back, they declared a public holiday so that everyone could go to the meetings. You know where he got that dream? In his secret place. At 15, 16 years of age, God spoke to him and said, one day you're going to lead a movement that changes a nation in one day, in one day, in one day. It's always in the secret place. Why don't you just close your eyes for just a moment? I just really believe that God wants you to pursue a secret place with Him. What I think happens is we usually step out to do this and we step out with a determination to do it, but it lasts usually about three or four weeks and we don't feel like anything's happening, so we stop. Can I just say something to you this morning? The marriage I have today didn't happen because I put three or four weeks input into it. It's happened because it's 23 years worth. You've just got to hang in that secret place long enough. You've got to get in there and say, you know, your word promises, this is where I'll meet you, that you're in here waiting for me. I'm here. Come on, speak to me. Talk to me. Have a conversation with me. Tell me what it is that you want me to do with my world, with my life. And I just believe that if you will hang in there long enough, if you will work hard enough on that relationship, your secret place will be your place of strength every single time. 
that all the answers you're looking for, you're going to find in your secret place. But I want to pray for you this morning. If you're in this place and you're like, man, I, I don't have a secret place or I used to and I kind of gave up or whatever. You know what? It doesn't matter what has been. What matters is what is to be. And what matters is what you're going to do from this day onwards, not what you've done every day before. But if we're seriously going to passionately love Him, if we're going to love Him passionately, there has to be a secret place. And so in this place this morning, with your eye closed, if you're here and you're like, man, Craig, I'd love it. If you could pray with me that God would help me to establish a secret place so I can hear the things that He wants to give me, so I can get the anointing that I need for the task at hand in that secret place. Would you pray with me that I would find that place in my world? Because I love Him passionately, and I want to make space for Him today. If that's you, why don't you just lift your hand up across this place? Father, you see every single hand in this place that's been lifted this morning. You see their heart. They want a secret place. They want that inner room experience. They want that time with you. They want that relationship with you. As they put their hand up this morning, God, what they're saying is, I'm going to make space for you. I'm personally going to make space for you in my world because I love you passionately. God, I pray that as they do that, that they would not be let down. I know your word does not let them down. But you promised in Matthew 6, 6, that we would find you in the secret place. God, whenever we're wondering where you are, may we go to our secret place and may we find you. And may we not just find your love, but when we find the strategies, may we find the anointing, may we find the things that it is that we need to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. God, may we become people from this day forward that live from a secret place, not looking for a secret place, but we live from it and out of it in every part of our being and every decision process we make comes out of our secret place and that we would love you passionately with everything that we have. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I think there's nothing better than what we could do this morning is just have a little bit of a praise time with Jesus. Let him know. There's a great song that the guys did this morning called Heartbeats and and really the song is about as all I need in my heart is you. And I want us to sing that this morning as we, as we finish the word and just say, you know what, God? All I want is you. All I need is your heartbeat in my world. Can we do that? Yeah. Awesome.